We don't want it again. Uh, fantastic. Having the opportunity to ask questions is so important in life, isn't it? It's how children learn. It's how they grow. It's how they develop. Uh, they're always asking questions. But it's not just children. Questions dominate all of our lives. Here's just three from the news today. What will be the long-term consequences of climate change? When will the credit crunch end? And how many more people will lose their jobs? They dominate our lives, these kind of questions. And not only do we have questions, but we love to hear people answer questions, particularly famous people. That's why Friday Night with Jonathan Rawson used to be Parkinson on a Saturday night, a primetime viewing on Friday and Saturday. Seeing a famous person get asked awkward and personal questions and seeing them squirm as they try and answer it. We love that stuff. I wonder what the question is that you have in your mind as you come tonight. What is that burning question you'd love to get answered? I don't know if you know this. Jesus, in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, was asked 183 questions and he only answered three directly. He was the ultimate politician. He was asked loads of questions that made him squirm and he seemed to get out of them. I wonder what your question is as you come tonight. Did you know that the most frequently asked question on Ask Jeeves and Wiki Answers, the question that is asked more than any other is, is there a God? Isn't that interesting? The most common question that's asked on the internet in the 21st century is, is there a God? I imagine it's the question that's probably been asked more frequently in every culture since the world began. Is there a God? Or put it another way, is there more to life than this? It's interesting to hear some of the responses in the video. One girl said, you can't know the meaning of life. Another, there is not one meaning, you just do what you do, you choose what you want to do because it is your life. And many people agreed with that. One guy said, living your life the way you want to, it's your life. Take as much as you can from it, do as much as you can while you're here, because when your time is done, it's done. But the most common view is the guy that said, just to be happy and make other people happy. I think most people would agree with that, wouldn't they? Enjoy life, make the most of life, be happy, don't harm others. Sounds reasonable, it sounds sensible, it sounds about right. But it does beg the question, where do you find that happiness in life? How do I get that kind of life? I remember hearing the story of a guy called Tony Adams. If you don't know him, he was affectionately known as Donkey in the football world. Footballers are so kind. He was the captain of Arsenal, and unlike most uh, schoolboys, he actually achieved his ambition of captaining the England football team. He's wealthy, he's successful, he's popular and talented. He's started football uh, management now as well. But after England were knocked out of the European Championships in the semi-finals, obviously against Germany, on penalties, but Tony Adams that night, he was the captain, he went out and got drunk. Nothing unusual about that, he lost a big match. What is unusual is he went out all the following, the next day for the whole day and was drunk all that day. In fact, he went on a series of 24-hour benders for six weeks until the captain of England and the captain of Arsenal is sitting in a bar, crying into his pint glass as the barman looks at him. The funny thing from my point of view He's still the captain of Arsenal. He's still the captain of England. He's still enormously wealthy, popular and successful. And as he's crying in a pub, there's football fans like myself 
People in London, you can imagine, with replica shirts on saying Adams across their shoulders. And their hero is crying into a pint glass. His whole life depending on winning that championships, and when, it, when he didn't get it, his life falls apart and he turns to the bottle. He couldn't make sense of it. What was life all about? Football can't provide the answers. It is too transitory. And yet it isn't only when things go wrong that we find ourselves at odd with the world and asking questions. Funnily enough, it's when things go to plan that we ask those questions. I recently watched a programme about Simon Cowell. Uh, he's on the TV all the time, so we had to mention him in our first night of intro. But the programme was called When Did It All Go Right? And it was looking, it was like a breakdown of his life story. And it was a classic rags to riches story. Simon starts off his career as a runner on a film, The Shining, but he falls out with his colleagues. But then his dad gets him a job in the music industry, and from that moment on, he never looks back. Everything he touches turns to gold, apart from one blip when he had to file for bankruptcy. But even that, he makes it into a great story about how he came out of it. But just as the programme is coming to an end, we're sitting with Simon in the back of a limousine as he's rushing off to another meeting. And the interviewer asks him, are you content? And Simon replies... At this moment, I have six singles in the top ten in the UK charts. I have eight singles in the US charts. I have the top-listed show on TV in the UK, The X Factor, and one of the most popular shows in the States, Pop Idol. But am I content? No. And he goes on to say, I am not content because it is not the final destination, but the journey that is the exciting adventure. In effect, he's saying, all these years I've pushed, I've pushed, I've pushed. And now I'm one of the most famous men in, mu- in the music business, and I'm not content. One interviewer who reviewed the program, uh, one newspaper that reviewed the program said this, Simon Cowell has risen to be the most influential figure in global television, musical entertainment. We are all rabbits caught in his headlights. And yet Simon Cowell says, at the top, I've achieved my goal, I've got my ambitions, And it's not that exciting. I'm not that content. You see, in one sense, it's completely the opposite to Tony Adams, who failed to achieve his goals and ambitions. And yet, in another sense, it's exactly the same story. Because here are two completely brilliant and talented people in different fields, sports and music, and they're asking this question, is there something in life that will never let me down and that will always satisfy When I miss out on the thing I'm living for, I feel empty and hollow. When I achieve the thing I'm living for, I feel empty and hollow. They're asking the question, (laughs) is there more to life than this? And the funny thing is, with the job I do with Mosaic Church, I'm constantly coming across people. They haven't reached the dizzy heights of Tony Adams or Simon Cowell, but they've got everything they long for. They've got a good degree, they've got a good job, they've got a great relationship, they've got a loving family. Yes, they've had a few ups and downs, but basically life has gone okay for them. And yet they're asking me the question, Steve, is there more to life than this? What goal or ambition is worth living for? What goal or ambition will never let me down and will always satisfy? Tom York from Radiohead was once asked about his ambitions, to which he replied, Ambitions? For what? I thought that when I got to where I wanted to be, everything would be different. I'd be somewhere else. I thought it would be all white fluffy clouds, and then I got there, 
and I'm still here. The interviewer asked him why he carried on making music even though he'd achieved all his com- uh, critical and commercial success. He said, it's filling the hole, that's all anyone does. To the question, what happens to the hole, York paused for a while and said, it's still there. Tom York, though, isn't expressing a new idea. There was a mathematician and philosopher called Pascal in the 17th century, and he said this, he said, there's a God-shaped hole in each of our hearts, and no matter how much money, success, achievement, sex, kudos, whatever you want to put in that hole, you'll never fill it until you fill it with God. Well, there's a famous verse in the Bible that says, pretty much that. It says, God has made everything beautiful in its time, but he's also set eternity in the hearts of men. The verse is saying, God has given us an amazing creation to look at. He's given us so many good things. He's given us friends, family, falling in love and food. He might have even given us fame and fortune, but he's also put a hunger in all of us that says there must be something more, more satisfying, something that will never let me down. As the verse says, he's put eternity in our hearts. We've all been there, haven't we? You know those moments when you start to ask the bigger questions of life? Now, nine weeks ago, I became a father as my wife, Leanne, gave birth to our son, Jacob. He was actually born on the 7th of the 8th of the 9th, which is pretty much the coolest birthday around. Um, but I'll tell you, the whole process, the whole process has just got me going, wow, isn't, what is life about? Isn't it amazing? So look, this is how it started off for me. There is Jacob, 12 weeks old, just in a scan. He looks exactly like his father with a massive slap edge. You see that? <laughs> and I tell you, when we went to that scan and he was 12 weeks old, we could have watched him wriggle around, you know, that weird machine. We could have watched him. He was less than the size of my hand. He had completely definable fingers. He had a definable spine. He even had fingernails. And he's not even as big as my hand at that stage. What a wonder. What a delight. It's absolutely marvellous, the prospect of new birth. And then he was born. There he is. You're going to get lots of ahs now. That's on the day of the birth. There he is. He looks like a three-fingered monster, actually, there. Um, there he is, just after he's drunk on milk at this stage in the, uh, the proceedings. There he is with me. There he is, his curious little fella. And that was him today, just before uh, we uh, start to, you know, started tonight. But every step of the way, it's made me go, wow, what a delight, what a joy. And it stops you in your tracks. I wonder when you were last stopped in your tracks and gone, what is life all about? Because at times it seems so amazing. Maybe it was when you were captivated by the first breath of a child, or you know when that, the baby, you know, your enormous finger, and they wrap their whole hand around it, and you look at it, and it's so fragile and so beautiful, and you go, wow. Or when your breath is taken away by that awe-inspiring mountain range or gorgeous sunset. So beautiful, so magnificent, so wonderful, so delightful. You wish you could freeze the moment and make it last for an eternity because it's so magnificent. Or when you've enjoyed a fun evening with friends down the pub or laughter around the family meal table and you wish the evening didn't have to end because you're so content, you're so at home and you're so secure. And it stops you in your path and it makes you go, is this all here by chance? Is this all random? Or is there a creator who made it this beautiful? 
One of the greatest scientists of our time, Stephen Hawking, says, almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had the beginning at the Big Bang. But he goes on to say, the odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think there are clearly religious implications. And elsewhere, he says, it would be very difficult to explain why the universe would have begun in just this way, except as an act of God who intended to create beings like us. You see, maybe there isn't a dichotomy between science and faith, as many prominent atheists are saying. Maybe you don't have to make a choice between science and faith. Maybe, to quote one of the greatest scientists of all time, Johann Kepler, science is thinking God's thoughts after him. Maybe God is the author of it all and it's not meaningless. Maybe beauty and love and truth and justice, we can talk about them meaningfully because they're not just a set of chemical reactions designed to pass on genetic code. They are objectively meaningful. Maybe mankind, to use Bertrand Russell's expression, is more than a curious accident in a backwater, a collocation of atoms. Of atoms. And you know what? It's those moments of wonder and joy and marvel when you say God has made everything beautiful in its time, but it doesn't last forever because he's set eternity in your heart. But it's not only when the world is, is gone, you know, when it's beautiful and the world, you know, life has gone as all as it should be and it's all going well. Often it's when life hasn't gone so well when we ask the questions of life. There's a relationship breakdown and you've fought with your spouse, family member or good friend and it's left you feeling lonely, isolated or hurt. Or when you've had a tough time with your job and you've been made redundant. Or as is so tragically the case, too often these days, someone you know close to you, someone you know, dies of cancer and you scream out, surely life wasn't meant to be like this. Just two months ago my uncle died from stomach cancer and I was standing in my kitchen with my auntie crying on my shoulder. Surely life wasn't supposed to be like this. And you cry out, is there anything in life that won't let me down and won't disappoint? Is there more to life than the mess that I'm in and the hurt that I feel? Why is the world so full of pain and hurt? Your life was never meant to be this way, surely. But then we have to ask the question, Where does this instinct for a better life come from? Why do we instinctively think that life should be more satisfying, more rewarding and less fragile? This is brilliantly captured in the film The Matrix, where Morpheus tells Neo, Let me tell you why you're here. It's because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel. You felt it your entire life. There was something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. You know there's something wrong. You know it wasn't supposed to be this way. It's like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. Surely life wasn't supposed to be like this. Well, maybe the writer of Ecclesiastes was right. Maybe God did make things beautiful, but he always left you wanting something more, something else that would fill the hole. I recently heard someone on a similar event like this giving a talk, and he said that Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen, just before his death, admitted that despite his fortune and millions of fans, he felt desperately lonely. And he said, it's funny, isn't it, how he had everything the world could offer, And he was the loneliest man. That surely is the most bitter type of loneliness. 
And he said, success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but prevented me from having the one thing we need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Maybe Pascal was right. Maybe that hole, that gaping, that dissatisfaction, that sense of the infinite, that sense of a better life will never be filled until it is filled with a loving, ongoing relationship with God. And that is what the intro course is all about. It's a chance to come and see what you think. It's a chance to come and ask the big questions. To go, is there an explanation for what I see around me and what I feel inside? I once had a philosopher say there are four big questions that you have to grapple with and find answers to. Where have I come from? Questions of origin. Where am I going? (coughs) Questions of destiny. Why am I here in the first place? Questions of meaning. What is right and wrong and who decides? Questions of morality. And hopefully the intro course will provide a forum where you can think about this. And as ridiculous as it may seem, see whether Jesus Christ has any of the answers. Does he have anything more substantial, more satisfying to offer? Let me just tell you my story. I was brought up going to church. And to be honest, if you said Jesus could provide any of those answers, I probably would have laughed at you. Christianity was boring and dull and irrelevant. All I knew was that I had to obey certain rules, otherwise God wasn't happy with me. It was a list of do's and don'ts, and God, well, he was just a spoil sport. I used to treat God you know, like a slot machine. You know, when life goes bad, you put your money in, you say your prayer, and you hope you get a good product at the end. But if you don't get the good product, you hit it on the side and say, why don't you give me? That's how I treated God. When life goes bad, I say my prayer, and then I would kind of like, you know, verbally hit him, because he didn't make life go as I wanted it to go. I don't know if you've seen the film The Island with Ewan McGregor. The basic plot is that they're part of a scientific experiment where they are clones of people in real life so they can provide body parts for the rich and famous. And Ewan McGregor, well, he's starting to cotton on that something isn't right. And he begins to ask one of the people that works in the outside world lots of questions because he's starting to get that something's not right. And God crops up in conversation. And McGregor says, what's God? To which the worker replies, you know when you really want something and you ask for it and you don't get it, God's the guy that doesn't give it you. I.e., God is an arsehole, he's a killjoy, he's a spoiler sport. And that was definitely my view of him. He was the one that would stop me having fun, he wanted me to obey certain rules, and when I just wanted a bit of slack, he was the guy that didn't give it me. And not only was he a spoil sport, but many of the Christians I knew were not the kind of people I wanted to be like. And when you read your papers and listen to your news, you realise that lots of Christians and lots of churches are so hypocritical, and it seems to discredit the whole thing anyway. And history tells a similar story, doesn't it, with countless evils done in the name of Christianity. The whole thing seems a farce. But then one summer, my parents sent me on one of these sports activities camps, which happened to be a Christian camp. I was 12 years old. Now, for a 12-year-old boy going to a camp, I had three objectives. One, to play lots of sport. Two, to have lots of fun. And three, to get a girlfriend. And to my great joy, I achieved all three things. What was a shock was I came back a Christian. I wasn't expecting it, and I didn't necessarily want to achieve that. I remember sitting there on the last night. I hadn't listened to any of the talks, and they just sang this song that said, Abba Father, I want you to know that I'm yours and yours alone. 
and I just broke down in tears, which isn't the coolest thing when you've got a 12-year-old girlfriend sitting next to you. <laughs> but I was, I was just completely blown over. Suddenly God, it was as if God just broke into my life and said, I put eternity in your heart, Steve. I made you for an ongoing, loving relationship with me. And suddenly Christianity wasn't do's and don'ts. It was about living life in relationship with your creator. Life as it was meant to be. Suddenly God wasn't a spoil sport out to ruin my fun, but a loving father who had my best interests at heart. Now don't get me wrong, I didn't have all the questions answered. I was 12 years old. And in fact as a sporty guy in my school, I pretty, kept it pretty quiet that I was a Christian. But since then, I kept asking questions and kept investigating it. After school, I went for a year out in Ecuador. And that made me ask the question, is this my parents' faith? Was I born into it? Or is this something I choose to do? And not only did it make me ask that question, it made me ask this question. Does God work on the other side of the world when all of life has changed for me? Is he still, is he still real? Can he still help? And the answer came back a resounding Yes. And then I came to university here at Leeds and I studied maths and philosophy. So the inevitable question when you study those two subjects is, well, does Christianity stack up? Okay, Christianity works on an emotional level, but what about the intellectual level? What about historically? What about scientifically? What about archaeologically? Does it stack up? Is the evidence there? Is it credible? And again, the answer came back, yes. Christianity isn't just a crutch. It has some substance to it. I don't know if you heard about the uh, atheist bus campaign just before Christmas. Uh, the British Humanist Society, supported heavily by the famous uh, atheist and brilliant scientist Richard Dawkins, that he funded a three-week bus uh, advertising campaign on the streets of London saying, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. When asked why he supported the campaign, Dawkins said, this campaign to put alternative slogans on London buses will make people think, and thinking is anathema to religion. But what they do, and why I'm not too fussed about the campaign, is they're forcing us to ask these two questions, aren't they? Does believing in God really mean you constantly worry and you can't enjoy your life? And does believing in God mean you leave your brain behind? That you take a blind leap of faith in the dark. And the thing is, lots of brilliant scientists and philosophers, as well as your average Joe on the street, have come to completely different conclusions to Dawkins. That's my experience. Far from ruining my life, it's given me great joy. For it's given me great peace, and it's given me great hope. My faith in Christ has done the opposite of bring worry and sadness. And secondly, far from leaving my brain behind, my faith rests on the fact that it adds up, that it actually gives the best explanation of the world around us. In short, I think Christianity is intellectually credible and existentially satisfying. That means it works in the head and it also works in the heart. So I'm quite happy with Dawkins. Let's ask the question, what is the meaning of life? How do you find the life that brings the most happiness and the most joy? How do you find the life that seems to make sense? Or what is the belief that seems to make the most sense of the world around us? That is what the intro course is all about. C.S. Lewis said this, Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance, and if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. And so that's why we put on these courses. Come and ask your questions 
put Jesus Christ to the test and see if he's left standing. You have nothing to lose and you have everything to gain and you get a good meal for free. So just before I end, let me invite Lucy up, who was a guest on last year's intro course, and she's just going to talk about her experience. So can we give her a round of applause as she comes up? Fantastic. Lucy, just tell us quickly sort of who you are, what you're up to. Um, I'm Lucy, and I'm currently doing nothing, because I've just graduated in the summer from Leeds Uni, and I'm um, doing a master's at Leeds Met, but it doesn't start till January, so I'm kind of floating for a couple of months. Okay. Good floating. Um, you did the intro course last year. Just tell us, why did you sort of come on it? Um, well, I came on it because um, I was attending Mosaic with my friend, and I didn't really understand about Christianity as a faith. Um, I, I kind of, I had questions, and Jesus wasn't really anyone. He didn't really feature. He was just kind of a man. And I, I knew that intro would really help um, answer these questions, and that I'd come away either with a stronger faith or realised I didn't leave at all. Fantastic. So, um, would you say you are a Christian when you came on the intro course? Um, I'd say that I believed in God, but I wasn't actually a Christian. I think I was kind of sitting on the fence, I hadn't really decided. Great. Now, why did you find the evenings helpful? Um, the evenings were helpful just because it's a really relaxed um, and easy sort of environment to ask any question that you have. Um, like, Steve's talks were really good, and they sort of related things that the Bible said to everyday life, which made it much easier to understand. Um, and it, the, just the atmosphere was really friendly, no question was too silly, no question was too stupid, and it's just a really fun environment to learn in. So how did it help you, particularly? Um, it helped me because it made everything seem more simple. Um, I learned that believing in God um, wasn't about going to church every Sunday, I mean, you didn't get points, you didn't have a tally chart but that it was about a relationship with him, and that the relationship um, didn't come immediately, but was developed along with your understanding. And what about in terms of, you know, what kind of changes did you see in your life or from the intro course, or what were some of the key sort of changes that you... Um, a key change for me was in about week three, um, I suddenly realised, well, Jesus came into it, and I realised that he wasn't just a sort of random man, but he was actually God, and that the things that he did on earth were what God wanted and to plan for him and that um, it suddenly dawned on me like the sacrifice God made by sending Jesus to earth knowing that we would you know crucify him and things and that just um, things really started to fall into place like God loved us so much that he sent his only son to be crucified by us and um, I think the intro sort of it, it showed me that and it made me it gave me a thirst to sort of learn more about Jesus and who he was so just ask why and sort of who would you recommend the course to? Um, I think anyone can do it. I mean, there'll be people sitting in here who are believers, non-believers, and it's great because anyone who has any questions, it's just such an easy, um, easy place to ask them. You meet new people, new friends. Everyone has a different reason for being here, and it's just really a nice place. Great. So these guys might be interested in doing it for the rest of the course. How are they to get the most out of this course? Um, I think you get the most out of the course in the discussion, which is coming now. Um, just any question you have, just ask it. Like, listen to the answers, listen to your table leader. Like, because they're all really friendly and they'll just answer anything. It doesn't matter if it's stupid. If you think it's a stupid question, it's not stupid because they'll be able to help you. And just get any questions answered, any doubts, any worries. Just get them all sorted. And then, if you don't believe at the end, it doesn't really matter. No one's going to judge you for it. So. Fantastic. Should you give a round of applause? Thank you.
Great, so hopefully that's given you sort of a taste of what the course is about and why to do it and lots of things for you to discuss. If you are interested, you'll see there's a sign-up sheet and we just want to grab all your details um, so we can let you know what's going on as the course develops, particularly if you've got any dietary requirements or anything else you want us to know about. So before you go, if you're interested in coming back, can you just put your uh, name and your contact details on there? We're going to have tea and coffee now and here are just some questions maybe for you to discuss on your tables. Why have you come on the course? What do you hope to get out of it? What do you think Christianity is all about? Uh, what have been your experiences of church? And what do you think uh, is the meaning of life? Lucy's kind of hinted at it. We have one rule here, which is that no question is too simple and no question is too feisty. So you just ask, 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 ask any question. Nothing's too simple, nothing's too feisty. You might not always get the best answer, but you can come back week after week and try and get a better answer. So thanks for listening and teas and coffees will be served. And we'll finish in about, about nine o'clock.